Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, dozens of demonstrators are camping out in front of Hamilton City Hall, calling on the city to defund police and reallocate funds towards housing. We'll get details from Kojo Dampty and Deputy Chief of Police Frank Bergen. Paul Johnson, the Director of Emergency Center for the City of Hamilton, gives us an update on the fight against COVID in this area. And the province announced its faith in Dr. David Williams as the province's top doctor. But not everybody's happy with that. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's get right into it here. Dozens of demonstrators are camping out in front of Hamilton City Hall. This started yesterday, apparently, uh, calling on the city to defund police and reallocate funds toward housing. Advocates with a group called Defund the Police Hamilton Coalition have set up speakers and tents in the forecourt. Uh, did this yesterday afternoon, using a, issuing rather a list of demands uh, during a series of speeches. Uh, there was also a ticket uh, that was issued uh, because, well, we'll get to that in a couple of seconds. Police uh, concerned about what's going on with uh, crowds forming during COVID-19. That's what we were told. We're going to get some clarity on that. To begin with, though, I want to uh, bring Kojo Jampty in the conversation, manager of programs for the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Good, good. I want to I want to make sure our listeners understand you are not at the protest right now, but you certainly have talked to these people and and you're aware of it. Uh, talk to me about about what's going on and your reaction to it. Yeah, so I think uh, yeah we 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 support uh, the demands that they are asking for and we support the work that they've been doing. Uh, so just wanted to also uh, uh, make make that clear. Uh, yeah, I think what they are asking for is something that is clear, is needed, and uh, I think uh, residents across across uh, Hamilton and even the country would agree with the sentiment of what they are asking for, right? So, and let's let's go over those demands because they are pretty prescriptive in exactly what they're looking for. Uh, the defunding of police is a, a discussion and a debate that's been going on for quite some time, uh, but it's really a, 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 a case part B, I guess, if I can articulate this, and maybe you can put some some uh, some clarity on this, Kojo, is a reallocation of funds. Yes, I mean at 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 the end of the day, let's be clear. Uh, if you look at municipal budgets. They range anywhere. The, the the police budget of municipal municipal operating numbers across the city range from anywhere from ten percent to twenty percent of the operating budget, right? In 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 Hamilton, uh, uh, back back in in the two thousands, the budget was about a hundred million, right? And now it's heading to hundred and seventy five million. Um, if you compare that to the, the number of investments that have been made into housing and, and other social services, uh, it, it doesn't even come close, right? In, in 2020, uh, they had a 3.87% uh, increase in their budget. Which other social services uh, in Hamilton has that amount of increase, right? So what, what the, 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 the organizers are saying is, put surpluses into addressing uh, housing. We have people that are living in encampments across parks in our city. Nothing has been done to address this. Our mayor hasn't done anything to address the housing crisis. And so now those residents and organizers are saying they should get together with all levels of government to come up with a plan to address this dire issue right now. 
you've been asking for some time uh, to have a, a discussion and a meeting with, uh, with representatives of the city and Hamilton Police Services. Uh, what's what's happened on that front? Well, there has been no discussion, and it's it's I would say it's the failure. It's it's a failure of the leadership of the mayor, right? He keeps on saying we should we should be having a conversation at the table. I believe that's what his uh, statement said yesterday night. But he hasn't had any conversation with anybody, right? And so if he's not having a conversation with anybody, then why 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 is it that uh, we should listen to what he has to say? Well, then now people are saying, look, these are the demands that need to happen. There are people that are living in tents across the city. We had we had snow uh, over this weekend. Mm-hmm. Is this the kind of city we want to have where people are living in tents? And the city of Hamilton is actively, right, tearing down tents, slashing down tents. This is not what we want. And yet we, we, we allow a, a, a new Hamilton forensics building worth $26 million to be built over two years. And housing hasn't been addressed since uh, uh, for over decades. And I'm sure even when you were on council, housing was still an issue. Housing was an issue in 1997. I remember going to my first uh, conference as a city councilor uh, with the federal minister, and, and, and that was our cry at that time. Where's the money? Because they'd cut out all the money for housing, for affordable housing altogether. Exactly. And so the argument has always been, where's the money? And we put out, we, the municipal governments are always putting out a hand to provincial and federal that's fine. But then the municipal governments should also make that commitment. And the city of Hamilton has not made that commitment into housing. And again, that's why I gave the example of the forensic building. They took a surplus from the Pan Am Games. They took uh, uh, capital investments, right? And then they were able to build a $26 million building in less than three years. So that means that we can build affordable housing. And so that is the ask that the organizers and the residents, let's remember, all those people there also live in Hamilton, right? Mm-hmm. Has the mayor been out to talk to those that are living in encampments? Has he gone out to talk, talk to them to ask, why is it that they don't want to live in shelters? And then for, for pe- people need to realize when people are put in hotel rooms, they are also using taxpayers' money, right, to pay the hotels. Sure, so somebody has to pay it, that bill. Yes. So isn't it a, a, a cost-saving measure to say, hey, look, we need to invest in housing and provide free housing because it's a human right so that that way your money doesn't go into, into paying for hotels? Okay, there's one other element to this, and I, I know you and I have had a number of discussions about this over the last number of months, Kojo, and I appreciate you coming on. And I, I understand the frustration, and, and, and especially because of the government inaction at all three levels and, and the fact that nothing seems to be getting done here. However, uh, time and place, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and there are restrictions about crowd sizing uh, and about gatherings because of, of you know the, the fact that we're into a second wave right now. Um, and I know that the police have reacted to that, and somebody was actually given a ticket yesterday because the crowd is larger than the 25 that it should be. Uh, is this the right way to do this, given the fact that we're dealing with a pandemic right now? Bill, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And if, quite frankly, the organizers of the events have taken COVID very seriously. They provided people with masks. They provided people with sanitizers. 
they are taking people's temperature. They've written down everybody's names, right? So we know that we are in a pandemic. But even while we are in a pandemic, our city still has failed us. So if we are in a pandemic and they are not even making the right decisions, when is a better time to ask for all levels of government to take this issue seriously, right? We were in a pandemic and our city was actually encouraging people to to uh, 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 to live in encampments and tear down tents, right? So when would be the better time to 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 get uh, uh, city officials, municipal, provincial, and federal to come together to address this issue right now? The last thing I'll say is, look, there were about you know ten to fifteen cop cars. There was an anti-mask uh, 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 event. That happened a couple of weeks ago, and there were two cops there. And even that was, was against public health, right? Mm-hmm. And here we have people that are trying to save the lives of people that are houseless, and they are also taking COVID seriously. Inconsistent responses. I, I get that. And that's, that's got to be part of the discussion. Kojo, we're going to obviously keep track of this and see what's going to happen over the next little while and how the city responds to this. I do appreciate you taking some time for us this morning. Uh, let's uh, stay in touch as this evolves, okay? Thank you. Kojo Dampy from the uh, Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion, who, as I mentioned, is not on site at the encampment at City Hall, but certainly has talked to them. And we've had m- numerous discussions uh, with Kojo and with others, including Sarah Jama, who uh, is or- one of the organizers of what's going on at City Hall right now. Uh, police have been talked about here, and they, they've been brought into the conversation on a couple of different occasions. Uh, some of the protesters down at City Hall talked about this yesterday. You heard Kodo just talking about the police presence uh, and what they're doing and the, why the reaction. Uh, to that end, uh, pleased to welcome to the program uh, Deputy Chief of Police, uh, Frank Bergen from Hamilton Police Services. Uh, Deputy Chief, thank you so much for the time. Uh, explain to us, I guess, if you could, how uh, police services have responded to this. There's some concern here that... Uh, yeah, there seems to be, as I, I think what Kojo was trying to say here is there's, there seems to be two different sets of rules here. And, and there's, a, I think, an inference here that you've overreacted to this. Uh, maybe you could explain why the deployment and, and what you're doing on scene right now. Uh, thank you very much. And, Bill, it's always a pleasure to be uh, speaking to you. Uh, I did listen to Kojo, and I do appreciate that uh, Kojo has uh, expressed his views. Uh, just for points of clarification, um, the Hugs uh, Not Masks demonstration occurred on the uh, 8th of November. Um, in, uh, in that activity, there were several police officers, not two to three, uh, and we had to deal and manage approximately uh, 120 people and, and ultimately uh, a charge out of the uh, Reopening Ontario Act to the organizer uh, was given. Um, the event yesterday, uh, at its height, uh, was approaching 100 people. And, and as such, I don't think there's any disparity in that. I think it's the same uh, reaction. Uh, this has been an, an incredible journey during COVID, as you know. Uh, we've had many uh, triggers and many things that have tested the veracity of our response, and, and that has included a, a car rally up in Ancaster. It included a summer of, of, of what was North America response to um, Black Lives Matter, and more specifically, the police legitimacy, which was deemed defund police. Uh, so we have been working with organizers uh, carefully. Um, What we have now in the city of Hamilton and what is affecting this greater uh, area is in fact that Hamilton entered uh, code red uh, in this um, public health emergency on Monday, November the 16th. 
Also of note, I think it's important, is that Kojo has been a partner in these conversations. Uh, Friday of last week, we spoke to Kojo, we spoke to Sarah Jama, uh, we spoke to the uh, six organizers who had been identified in this event, and we had let them know uh, that, in fact, since being in Code Red, uh, that we would be adhering to the expectations of the province um, and enforcing the Reopening Ontario's Act. And specifically, that was the trigger of not having more than 25 people um, collect, uh, including social distancing and masks, uh, in a public gathering. I just, yeah, let me be clear on that, just so our listeners understand. So you had a discussion uh, with the organizers. In other words, you knew this was coming. Well, they, they, yes, they absolutely uh, identified and then through social media let everybody know it was coming. Okay. Uh, we fully expect and, and we welcome and we put operational plans and, and our mission statements and operational plans is to ensure that people have the ability to have a respectful gathering, that everyone has the ability of safety and preserving their rights uh, as, as deemed in the Charter. So we're fully aware of that, but, but we also have to adhere to certainly what is in the middle of this public health crisis. So I'm going to get into the hypothetical if I could here. Uh, had they shown up with only 25 people, uh, there, there would have been no tickets issued. Uh, there obviously would have been a different scenario altogether. Yeah, this is this is not a uh, us against them um, response because of the actual message of defunding the police. And I hope, Bill, we have a, a chance to unpack that greater and actually speak of what is the commitment to the community safety and well-being plan, and and uh, speaking to actually what Kojo and the HCCI's role is at the table when he speaks about being at the table. But let's talk about that in a moment. No, we have been very clear. We spoke to Kojo throughout the day yesterday. We tried to also speak with Sarah and, and their team. We have our police liaison team on the ground. We have our community relations officer on the ground. Uh, we are trying to manage this as best as we can. We're working with the city um, partners and city bylaw, the city manager's office. So I can tell you, I can report to you right now uh, that this morning that they have approximately 15 people. Uh, right now, there are no threats or no breaches of the Reopening Ontario Act. No tickets will be issued. I mean, our trigger will be right now, and we've been very clear, and we've been clear in our caution. Uh, we cautioned as well the hugs, not masks, people. These are, this is just uh, the reality is that we, we have used discretion, but we have lost the roadway of discretion, Bill. Uh, timing restrictions here, Deputy Chief, uh, prohibit us from uh, getting too deeply into the conversation about defunding. I would love to have you back on at another time when we can do this in, in, a, in a more full way. But just so we understand now, they, they're, right now, as, as we sit here at, down at City Hall, they are in compliance with the, uh, the restrictions, the COVID-19 restrictions. That's right. Under that envelope, uh, the language of the Reopening Ontario Act, but that does not negate the fact that we also have in place in our city an injunction that speaks about no camping on the forecourt of City Hall. So there's still going to be collateral conversations throughout the day. We have to look at some type of off-ramp here because at this particular point we have to work with our city manager, we have to work with our city bylaw, we have to have the authority and the clear uh, delineation of what is trespassing. But right now, if you're asking me specifically, Bill, are they violating the real Opening Ontario Act, they are not if they're staying under 25 people. Okay, and but, but you did say that there is a concern here about trespassing and and, and camping out in the forecourt. Uh, will there discussions... at... Pardon me? Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you that, uh, if I could, Frank. With that in mind, uh, do they stay there as long as they want, or is at some point there going to be a discussion between you and the city about 
uh, maybe tempting to ask them to leave or removing them if they don't. Are we? Uh, is that is that the worst case scenario right now? Right now, we are going to be, um, and we have continued to be with our police liaison team, Bill, um, having those discussions. Uh, right now, with the same conversations that working with our partners with Grace Mater as well as David um, Buckle, uh, managing the encampments along Ferguson and First Ontario Place, this is now a conversation that is unique. This isn't about acuity tests to see that homelessness and, and what are the triggers. These are people who are actively um, camping on, on, on the forecourt of City Hall. So those conversations still have to continue to occur. Uh, we will uh, be in touch with you because uh, I would like to have a, a more full discussion about this and some of the concerns that are being raised. And, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond in, in full to them. But uh, on short notice, I really appreciate you, uh, Deputy Chief, for jumping in here and uh, explaining what's going on here. Thanks so much for this. Thank you very much, Bill, and I always look forward to the opportunity. I think it's very important that we spend some time speaking about community safety and well-being planning, about all those people who are at the table, including Kojo and the HCCI, because we do have to talk about the social determinants of, of health. We have to talk about homelessness, poverty, harm reduction, and mental illness. Thank you, Bill. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Deputy Chief Frank Bergen, thank you again. Uh, we will follow up on this, uh, and I mean in the next day or so, to try to get everybody together and have a, a fuller discussion about this. But uh, since this is relatively breaking news and we're trying to get the latest as what's happening and how uh, the city is going to be responding, we wanted to at least touch base with the, the two parties and see what's happening. More to come, as they say. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to bring Paul Johnson into the conversation in just a second here as the director of the emergency uh, coordinated force, of course, uh, to deal with COVID-19 here in this community. Uh, responding to where we are now and what might be happening, uh, you may recall yesterday I had Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger on the program, and uh, he said, look it, I mean, we're into code red here in this area right now. That's not where we want to be. And, uh, well, the rules have changed. In the summertime, we were allowed to go to a bubble of 10. And, uh, you know, I think people still think that that's in existence. It's not. Right now, we're, we're suggesting that you do not go out, that you stay within your own household as much as humanly possible, other than for emergencies. So if you're, you, you need to go to work, of course, you need to get to work and you need to get back. But then, you know, don't, don't go out and socialize and, you know, join up at the restaurants or join up in, uh, in other locations where, uh, you know, potentially you can bump into others that continue to, uh, you know, pr promote the spread of this virus. Well, that's what we're supposed to be doing. It is what we're going to do and is what we're doing right now. Let's bring Paul Johnson into the conversation. Uh, Paul, thanks so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. Yeah, great to be with you, Bill. Thanks for you know, You know what makes me nervous here, Paul? I mean, you know, the, the American Thanksgiving is just a couple of days away, of course, on Thursday. And, and they're getting the same warnings down there. You know, stay, you know the, stay in your house. Don't travel. Don't go anywhere. You've seen the lineups at the airports, uh, and it, it's just ridiculous. Now, this is not a travel weekend per se up here in Canada, but by the same token, uh, I, I think there's a great deal of concern about, you know, whether or not we are actually going to adhere to the, to the regulations that are in place for Code Red. And I know that uh, earlier this week you had some conversations with the mayor and Dr. Richardson and uh, Rob McIsaac from Hamilton Health Sciences, because let's face it, when these numbers continue to spike, uh, it, it's going to have an impact on hospitals, on accommodations in hospitals, and I mean, this can get pretty ugly pretty quickly it can and the reason you enter into these more restrictive areas is because what it what happens in the community has impacts on our healthcare system for sure and that's what uh, you know hospital leaders like uh, like rob would be talking about but the other thing is it's what drives 
also the vulnerability within our long-term care facilities. Uh, thousands of people work in these long-term care facilities. They all live in homes. They're all in the community as well. And, and we have visitors coming in. So, you know, there are tons of controls within long-term care. And by and large, they're doing well with the exception of a few, uh, you know, large outbreaks here and there. But, uh, you know, when we get our community numbers down, that will have a positive impact on hospitals. It has a positive impact in terms of the, the spread and the possibility of this entering into our care facilities. Uh, it, it all gets better when those numbers are where we were in the summer. And, and what I often do is have people like go back and look at the data in the summer. We had days where there were no outbreaks, none. Yeah. Outbreak sheet was closed. Uh, didn't have anything. We were, we were still seeing cases each day, new cases. Um, there might have been a day or two where there were zero, but you know, some days it was one or two, other days it was five or six. So it wasn't as though we stopped it altogether, but it was at a, a layer which then had that knock on effect within our care facilities and everything else. So uh, for, for anybody who says, you know, this is why aren't we just protecting long term care, protecting hospitals, and let all the rest of us do everything? The answer is there is a relationship between the two, and what happens in the communities. Uh, impacts those areas very well. And, and quite frankly, you know, the next layer for us is, is what's happening in Toronto and Peel. There is no color in between red and gray. Um, and, and, and so we need to, to do our work here in the next couple of weeks. And, and hopefully we can move down the restriction scale. But over the weekend, uh, more than 50 cases each day. Yesterday, 42 new cases uh, in this community. So we clearly are, are still at a level that, uh, that that causes us some concern and puts added pressure on places like hospitals and our community facilities. Is, is there a false sense of security here, Paul, because we've had so much good news in the last week about vaccines that maybe we can just kind of ride this out, you know, and just, uh, you know, kind of rag the puck for a couple of months and then I'll get a shot and everything will be fine? I'm, I, I so. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm happier than anybody else that vaccines are on the way uh, a lot sooner than we thought. But by the same token, we need to deal, as I mentioned in my commentary this morning, deal with the here and now. Yeah, and, and that's that's the message is finally we're seeing what is uh, the roadmap to the end of this uh, this pandemic. And that's wonderful news because there was a time in April and May where you and I were having conversations about would there even be a vaccine? Could it yeah. actually be developed? And, you know, that scary proposition that there might not have been a vaccine program that ever came out of this. Well, isn't it good news that we're into this, that we can see it? But when you hear people talk about how long it's going to take for that to be rolled out, uh, we are many, many months away from that. And that's many, many months of us needing to do the right things or else people will get sick, people will die, uh, and our systems will become overwhelmed if we're not careful. And that's that's that delicate balance we're in. I think people are coming into a time where we're indoors more, and that is naturally going to cause some some higher-risk activities. We have a, a little chart we use sometimes about low-risk to high-risk activities. And the more you do indoors and the more time you spend indoors with people, it's a higher-risk activity. So in the summertime, we were in a better shape than we are going to be now. And then the final piece is we're into a period of time where we are socializing more. Uh, holiday seasons are about socializing. And that message of this holiday season being very different, I think this period of time um, is a different message than Thanksgiving and Easter, although those are times we get together. They're very short bursts of activity. You know, the holiday season, Bill, is when people are used to getting together with lots of people in repeated events, and, and that just can't be the way we, we function this year. 
There's another element to this too, and I, I, I don't, you know, mean to harp on this, but I think it's important to, to make sure the message is, is clearly understood here. Uh, we're going the wrong way, as you and I talked about a couple of days ago, Paul. I mean, you know, we've gone from yellow, to, we thought we were going into orange, and we, we leapfrogged right into red uh, because of the number of new cases. So there are different restrictions and about the number of gatherings, about gatherings at all, uh, and about what we're supposed to do. And, and I, what I wanted to get you to, to maybe remind our listeners uh, these are not suggestions from the provincial government these are the laws and if you thumb your nose at it and say i'm not going to adhere to that uh, you're not exercising your charter rights you're breaking the law and uh, you know as as we've seen with a couple examples already uh, you know the the authorities will respond in kind oh absolutely and the big pieces are you know your social gatherings uh, or events that people might be planning, and those include things uh, like weddings and that. Uh, there are significant restrictions, and they are severe, and they changed a little bit in the red category on Friday as well. It's now indoors, no more than five people for those social gatherings, those organized events, uh, those rites, as we call them, rites of passage. Uh, indoors, it's five people. And, and that is, of course, what the maximum is that you can do uh, outside of your household, but we're encouraging people in terms of the social element not to even do that. But yeah, there's severe restrictions, 25 outside. So this isn't a uh, guidance uh, piece. This isn't advice piece, which uh, there are these two components, right? We provide advice sometimes, but these are the rules, to your point. Uh, they are the rules. And then you get the other pieces, um, you know, no more than 10 people in facilities and in terms of some of our recreation activities, no more than 10 diners uh, in, inside a restaurant. And that includes where you have a couple of different rooms and all this kind of stuff where people are saying, hey, can I get 10 and 10? The answer is no, it's in the facility. And, you know, this is the reality and a reminder for folks that the red control category uh, is, you know, as close to a closure of these activities as you can get. And so there is obviously a pretty significant restriction in, in what we're doing. And that's why we want to head down orange-yellow ultimately into the green area, which is, is where you're aware of COVID in your community or coronavirus in your community, but you're able to do a lot of the things. And we're just not there. And the numbers that keep coming out every day in terms of new cases uh, suggest to us that uh, we have we have a fair bit of work to do, even if we want to get back to orange, which in and of itself is pretty restrictive. Yeah, it is, and 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 the, and it's this is not a negotiation, by the way. That's like saying you know you get a speeding ticket and say, well, I thought the speed limit on the street should be 110, not 50. Uh, you don't negotiate that. That's the law, and you know, it is. And look at it. I don't agree with all the restrictions either. I think some of them are are far too punitive, but they're the law. And and you know it, we're, the only way we're going to get through this is to pay attention to this. Uh, Paul, here's hoping that we get some some better news of some of the numbers over the next couple of days. Uh, we'll certainly stay in touch. Thanks so much for the time today. You bet. Thanks, Bill. Great to talk Paul, to you. You betcha. Paul Johnson, Director of the Emergency Center uh, for the uh, COVID-19 pandemic here in the uh, Hamilton area. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Interesting twist about what's going on at Queen's Park. Now, you may recall that we've talked with Ontario Premier Doug Ford a number of times about uh, his daily briefings and what announcements he's making. And oftentimes, either with the Premier or just after the Premier, you will see Dr. David Williams make his appearance. Uh, Dr. Williams is the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the province of Ontario. Uh, and he has been riding shotgun on this uh, COVID pandemic here in Ontario. Uh, we're understanding that apparently he has a lot of input with the Premier and Cabinet about what policies are going to be enacted. Uh, there have been some questions raised, though, about Dr. Williams' contribution and some of the suggestions, which is why it was a surprise to so many people when uh, the Toronto Star reported that uh, 
the Premier actually wants to extend the contract of Dr. David Williams as Chief Medical Officer of Health. He was due to retire in February, and uh, the Premier wants him to stay on. Well, suffice to say, not everybody's happy about that. And we're going to explain why in just a couple of minutes. I want to bring uh, Richard Brennan into the conversation, retired journalist with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years. Uh, Badger, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Hi, Bill. Are you surprised by this story? Uh, yeah. <laughs> which which part of it? The part that the Premier wants him back on or that, uh, that you know this is even happening? Because uh, a lot of people, including yourself and me, have been critical of Dr. Williams and figure, okay, uh, change is as good as the rest. Maybe some new blood and some new ideas are here. What, why is the, the Premier bent on, on keeping Dr. Williams around, in your opinion? Uh, that's, that's a question uh, that I, I'll attempt to answer. I, I just think he's familiar with... Uh, with Williams, and just wants to keep it, you know, a, a steady flow, if you will, here. But I, I think he's making a mistake. Uh, you know, the fact is, he was going to retire in February. Let the man retire. You know, with the, you know, give him a pat on the back and say, you know, thanks for all you've done because he has done some work. You know, you know, since this whole thing started. But uh, he's he lacks communication skills. He can't seem to tell people what's going on. Explain to people what's happening. He he seems to move at a glacial pace when it you know when it uh, you know it you know the situation causes for our you know immediate decisions and and I just he just doesn't instill a lot of confidence. Period. There and, and I you know we're going to hold this guy up now and say well he said this this and this and uh, a lot of, of people that were quote unquote experts in this uh, were a little off base with some of the things that they said back in the early days of this and I understand that totally but one of the ones that really jumps out uh, for me with Dr. Williams is when he uh, didn't think the community spread was going to be a factor for COVID-19 he didn't think that was happening at all uh, and of course that that's the major concern that we've got right now so that that bothers me but here's the other thing and you've got more connections to Queen's Park uh, than I'll ever have but I do know a few folks down there and, and what i'm hearing is that uh the reason the premier wants to keep him around uh, is not so much because he's competent it's that he's easy to control well he's malleable and that that and that's another thing i was going to add he i think he takes instructions well from the uh premier and that's uh i won't be too more unkind than that <laughs> <laughs> but he 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 uh you know, we, we see other people, you know, Tam and, and others, you know, standing up and, and, and explaining things to us and saying, you know, things are, this is an urgent matter and needs to be dealt with now. And he seems to be, you know, uh, fumbling with his hands and, and it doesn't really make a decision, like you said, you know, that, you know, really the COVID has nothing to do with, you know, the spread or, or and the community spread. What? <laughs> you know, I just, you know, you just shake your head and go, well, hold on a second. And the whole mass thing, you know, has been just a fiasco, you know. You know, at the first, you know, you know, well, you you know, use it if you can, but not necessary. And that's not just his fault. That's That, that was a problem right across the board. We, we need somebody who's got communication skills and has their finger on the pulse of what's happening. And I'm just afraid that, you know, Dr. Williams ha doesn't have that. And he's not showed nothing to this point that tells us that he does. 
I, I, I know you read Bruce Arthur's column in the Star about this, and uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, no, he he quotes an unnamed source, and I can understand why it's an unnamed source, but he just uh, characterizes as one highly respected member of the medical community uh, who requested anonymity because of the connections to the provincial response. But here's what he said about Dr. Williams. He's dangerous. He's dangerous because he cannot communicate. He doesn't advocate for sound public health measures. If you flipped a coin, you'd get it right more often than David does. That's pretty. That's pretty damning commentary. Pretty damning. I wish the person had put their name to it, but that's another story. Yeah. You know, I get more authority. Well, and the doctors and and special, you know, the experts and that have been telling the premier and Dr. Williams and others all along that you know we need to take drastic measures now to get this under control, and they kept doing it in a piecemeal fashion instead of taking you know, uh, tough decisions. You know, if the tough decisions had been made, you know, two or three months ago, maybe we wouldn't be in the position we are now, and maybe the, you know, the, uh, businesses, small businesses, wouldn't be shuttered as they are in, you know, in Peel and Toronto. It, it's, it, this, this, this is, uh, the impacts of the, their decisions are, are weighing greatly on small businesses. Maybe they should have decided to take this, you know, the decisions they're taking now should have been done weeks ago. And you're hearing from small businesses now, and I, you know, I can't blame them. You know, we hear the big box stores, are can, they can stay open, but, you know, Joe Shoeshine can't. And I go, what? <laughs> you, know, wh- wh- you know, why can't one person go in at a time to Joe Shoeshine? And, and get whatever they need and and come out but no uh, you know they've said no you can't do that and i this is where i'm saying that w- w- the lack of communication skills that you know that i'm sorry that dr williams doesn't have has has shown itself time and time again and we're seeing you know, we're you know, reaping the lack of rewards for that right now the comparator here, and I, I think it's a fair comparison, it's, you know, the United States versus what's going on in Ontario, but the scenario was the same. The leader, in this case it's our premier, uh, would get up there and a couple of cabinet ministers, but also some medical quote-unquote authorities, just like Trump used to do back in the day when he was doing these daily briefings. And what bothered an awful lot of people, as you remember back in those days, was that those experts, uh, including Dr. Redfield from the Center for Disease Control and Dr. Brax, who are very highly regarded, you know, medical people would sit there like you know bobbleheads and just nod knowing damn well that what trump was saying was not true about the virus about everything else and you figure that's where you want somebody like fauci did stand up and say no that's not the way it is and i think we were hoping that we were going to get that from dr williams and we haven't and and you've just mentioned a couple of things i mean uh, another one of course was the school protocol the back to school protocol uh which he said was you know in compliance with the recommendations from sick kids no it wasn't uh, you know, and, and okay, what can open and what can't open? Uh, well, you know, we've consulted with our, our medical people. Well, no, what happened here is Dr. Williams just seems to rubber stamp whatever the, the premier wants him to do. And and that and if he is in total agreement, I'm okay with that. But, you know, where's the, where's the medical expertise to say, no, 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 this has to happen. And I, I don't know that he's done it. You said malleable, and I, I know where you're going with that. Uh, but by the same token, you want somebody to stand up and say, no, this is the way it has to be, Mr. Premier. Well, if I was a premier, I would want somebody to give me the, 
you know, the goods and say, look at this is what's happening. We got to take decisions now, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And and I think where where the, the premier has a blind spot is that he he really uh, is strong on on loyalty, and I guess he sees Williams as a as a loyal subject or loyal. <laughs> And I'm sorry, but that's, you know, we don't need somebody who's just going to parrot whatever you think the government might want to. I mean, I, I was, you know, I'm not just blaming the premier here. Where are his advisors? Who's telling him to keep, you know, to keep Williams on and not get somebody else? I mean, there, you know, there's, I'm afraid there's too, there's too many people that are not afraid to say yes. The, the sign of a good leader, as far as I'm concerned, and I've, you know, we've studied this, and you've, you've interviewed these guys, you've critiqued these guys, premiers, prime ministers, uh, for years and years and years now. Uh, if you have a leader who only wants to su- surprise or surround himself or herself uh, with yes men uh, and or yes people, I got a problem with that, and and we all should have a problem with that. Uh, the, the good leaders, the ones that have confidence in their own abilities, have no concern and no problem at all with bringing people in with contrary opinions because they want to hear those before they make a final decision. I mean, this just seems to me to be another example of the premier just saying, "No, I just want people that are going to agree with me, uh, and I don't want to hear any contrary opinions." Well, that's not necessarily the best way to set policy. Oh, I know the premier has good people around him. I know some of those people. Yeah, yeah. And and believe me, they're not afraid to say something. But it, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe they're, what they're saying is, is lost in the crowd, or the premier's not listening. I mean, what you know, we don't know, and we what we don't know about what you know the government knows particularly about the, the you know the pandemic and and where we're all going. You know, you could uh, you know you could stick in a thimble, because it, we, the lack of communications is stunning. It has been right for the very beginning. If every every time we take these these ad hoc measures, people are scratching their heads. Oh, so okay, can I go to the gym? Uh, I don't know. Uh, are stores going to be closed? I mean, can I go to the restaurant? You know, there's only so many seats there, or do I have to be out? side on patio i mean that's the kind of thing people are saying like they just can't follow it bill i, I agree with you I, I i mean you know them better than i but there are some some pretty intelligent people in his inner circle uh, but where were their voices when he wanted to hire a buddy of his to be the OPP commissioner uh, and change the rules to try to accommodate that well where those, one of them believe me one of the people there is gone yeah <laughs> And where where were they just a couple of weeks ago when the premier was uh, trying to you know change the designation for a certain Christian college you know as a as a political favor to somebody who helped them get elected? I mean, you know, somebody has to say, Mr. Premier, do you understand the optics here? And and the same thing is going on here. I mean, Dr. Williams ha- has been criticized roundly in just about every circle now for the way he's done this, and I hear the same thing from all of his critics. Nice guy. Very nice guy, but you've got to have some backbone to do that job and, and to deal with politicians. And they don't think he's up to the job because of that. It's not because of his lack of, of, of knowledge. It's, it's because he, he bows to the politicians. He doesn't know how to stand up and say, this is the principle that we have to adhere to. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm less confident in his abilities now because I've heard all this criticism. And now you start to question the premier himself if he's saying, yeah, well, that's the guy I want to have with me. Well, I think that I think Dr. Williams made a mistake by saying, "Yeah, yeah, okay, keep me on." 
I mean, the guy, the guy's been going, you know, full speed since the beginning. Whether his decisions have been right or wrong, he has been doing the job, so to speak. And you know, and just, you know, say thank you very much, and I'm going to go to retire or whatever I might want to do. But the point is, you know, pass the baton to somebody else, somebody younger maybe, and somebody who's who's, you know, a, a bit of a fireball, and say, look it, you know. I'm not going to withhold anything from you. I'm going to tell the premier exactly what I'm saying now, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm saying. That's the person we need. It's and again, you know, the bar has been set here by by Dr. Fauci, south of the border, who just. I hate to use this phrase because it's such a cliche now, but he tells it like it is. And this is the way it is. He, you know, and no political filter through it. This is what I know. I'm the expert here. This is what we need to do. Now, and, and you, you just throw it back at it and say, now, if the government wants to ignore that advice, that's it. But, you know, they'll do so at their own peril because this is my expertise, as opposed to simply going up there and just about everything, every time we've had one of these conferences where the premier and the good doctor have been side by side at the podium there, uh, it's just total compliance with everything that the premier says. Now, and he'll explain it by saying, well, we've already consulted. But when people that also have that expertise are questioning those decisions, just figure, how much of a consultation was this? Well, something I can tell you, and this is, uh, I don't think there's any secret, but there are there are members of the caucus and in, in, um, in the conservative caucus that are not happy with what's going on uh, with, with you know, reappointing Williams and, uh, you know, and several other things. And, and I, just as an aside, I, I wish the premier would stop comparing us to other provinces or the states. As, as I think that Bruce Arthur uh, pointed out in his column today, you know, that's a pretty low bar, you know, if you're yeah. comparing us to the states and saying, well, well, geez, you know, uh, you know, things could be worse. We could be like them. Well, you know, for, for right now, you know, if, you, if things don't, don't change and things, decisions aren't made, maybe that's where we're headed. Well, there, there again, it's all a matter of perspective. And I, I saw that piece in in Bruce's column today too. That you know things could be worse. We could be Alberta. We could be Florida. We could, uh, you know, things could be better. Uh, that's that's the way to look at this because uh, there are some jurisdictions that have really got a handle on this thing, and and like New Zealand and other places that have done an outstanding job, and and we could learn from them. Yeah, it's 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 tough medicine, but it's how they won the day at the end of the day. And we, uh, again. If the criticism about this government is is look at they go far too many ways with half measures, is somebody advising them that, or is somebody just kind of saying, yeah, whatever you guys want to do? Well, I think it's, it's in part it's a reluctance to make a, 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 a tough decision. Yeah, and and again, we talked about this before, Bill. You know, the, you know, the weighing, you know, the health of the people and and the, the and, and and business health. And they're trying to and they're trying to find a balance there. But as they saw finally in Toronto and and uh, Peel that they couldn't do that balance for risk of you know the uh, the health of people. And so they they finally decided there. I'm just waiting for that wave to come to Hamilton, to come to London, to come to whatever. You know it, it's. The, you know, COVID is just not a GTHA problem. No, I know. It, it's uh, everywhere. I mean, Nunavut's got all kinds of uh, cases now. 
And, you know, down east they've got a, there's a growing number of cases where they tried to make the, you know, the maritime bubble and that. It's everywhere, and I think people have, you know, and politicians and people have to, you know, decide that, you know, that, that we can't do this in a piecemeal fashion. There's got to, there's got to be some tough love here. It has to be. Well, we have to leave it here. We're just about out of time. We'll see what kind of response and what kind of feedback there's going to be on this. Uh, as always, Richard, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you again today. Thanks, Bill. Richard Brennan, of course, uh, who covered Queen's Park for many, many years. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.